Hey everybody, welcome to episode 328 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, joined by recent co-host, James Dodds. James, how are you? Doing good. It's Friday in Austin, Texas, so how can you not smile? Yeah, and it's Labor Day weekend, so I've got a long weekend ahead. It's good to have you here. We're going to be talking about a topic that we've been riffing on actually quite a bit, spending some time on it with our virtual group, the Renegades. We're going to be talking about prep races or tune-up races is another way people might call that, but races in advance of your primary race and how do you use those in an effective way to make sure you get the most from your A race as a result. And we had some really good questions on our Rogue Renegade message board about this topic. Thanks, Caroline, for jumping in with those questions. And as we answered them for that group, we thought, hey, this is probably something the the world wants to know. The listeners want to know, the broader listeners, especially because we're approaching fall A races for many people. So how do they think about using, if they choose, races in advance of their primary race in order to get the best outcome? So we're going to get to that in just a second. A couple of things, though, before we start. First of all, I wanted to thank our sponsor for this episode, John G. Running Apparel. Also want to thank you guys because you've been redeeming the code I've been talking about. And I think at one point we maxed out the code, so we had to get more redemptions available on that code. And so you guys are showing up and supporting John G. and therefore supporting me. And as a result, John G. has said, hey, we want to expand our partnership. And so we're actually going to be doing more episodes where they're the sponsor. So thanks to you guys and thanks to John G. We'll be talking about that offer code again mid-episode. Also, we wanted to give a shout out for a new virtual group option that we just launched with Rogue Running. That's basically a spinoff of the Rogue Renegades and you will be coaching that. So wanted to tee that up so that people know who that group might be for. Right now, we don't have or we didn't have any virtual groups open because the Renegades only opens a couple times a year, but this group is going to be open and available to the public. So tell us about it, James, who is the group for and what, what what do they get? Yeah. So the name I'll start with because it kind of captures, um, the spirit of the group, but it's rogue rising. And, um, they're, they're rising up. The, the, we're going to have a, a, a logo that incorporates a phoenix. Um, so we have a decent mix, actually. Um, right now we have 25 members, and they're all incredibly encouraging and supportive of one another. Um, it's a full-on training program. In the past, we've had like a base-building program where it was just like, oh, you build a base, and then you launch into something else. Um, some people might come in and use it that way. They may say, hey, I want to get my legs under me. But it's also a training community where people are going to tackle PRs, and they're going to chase big dreams. We have three people running marathons already in October. Um, they're up and over 40 miles. Um, but you know, those were some veteran runners that wanted to come over with the mindset of, I wouldn't mind touching on the fundamentals once again. Like I know what I'm doing. In fact, I've got an, an athlete that was asking about her race strategy for Chicago, uh, just this week. And she's already run six marathons. So we do have some experienced athletes in there who have marathons under their belt, but they wanted to come back and touch the found, uh, the fundamentals. But then we also have some other folks that are running about 20 mile weeks, um, who are, and they've run half marathons and marathons in the past, but right now where they're currently at, 
Um, let's say they're getting out the door four times a week. They're running about three to four miles and they may not want to jump into a program where, you know, in the renegades, we've got some athletes in there running 80, 90 mile weeks. And even if that program is successful for someone on 35 mile weeks, um, because it's their teammate, they don't mind seeing that 80 to 90 number, you know, some folks might be overwhelmed by that logging into a Strava team group and seeing that and thinking, whoa, I got to keep up with that pack. So we wanted another offering that, again, it's not, quote, a beginner like couch to 5K program where you're kind of just learning to run three miles. I think if someone is used to getting out the door and they're comfortable moving their body 30 minutes, four times a week or about three miles, um, um, even even two to three miles, uh, three to four times a week. Um, we need you in motion. We need to know that it is a running program where we're not necessarily incorporating like, um, how to build up to finishing 10 minutes of running without, uh, walking. Some people might take some walk breaks just where they are, uh, physically right now. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a rise up program, whether you're an experienced runner who wants to retouch the foundation and kind of build up and rise up again, or you've, gotten yourself out of the door because you've been listening to the podcast for a while or someone inspired you on Instagram and you're thinking, all right, what do I, how do I take this two to three miles that I've kind of built on my own and convert that into a a 10K or a half marathon or even a marathon? Um, All of those personality types or um, anybody in that place is, is welcome on that team. Yeah. It's a virtual choice, brings all the rigor of a rogue program, of course, but it's geared towards that person who might be starting into halves and fulls for the first time, might be building for the first time, might be trying to get their mileage up over 40 miles a week for the first time, or might be rebuilding because of injury and wanting to start at a lower place so that they can build back to a higher place again. A lot of options. We're trying not to define it too specifically because I think it'll fit a pretty broad spectrum of runners, both new and experienced, just depending on where they are. But it's our only virtual group that will be open right now. And so if you want to jump in, James is coaching. You get a plan. You get a community virtually that you can connect to where you can get all your questions answered as well as find virtual connectivity with other runners, which is more powerful than we ever expected. And also you get a weekly podcast that kind of explains everything and helps you connect to the community that way too. So if you're interested, email me, chris at roguerunning.com. We'll get you connected. It's, I don't know if I mentioned it or not, but 60 bucks a month. So very reasonably priced, but you get everything you need to go then chase whatever goals you want to chase. Yeah. And you mentioned that they get a plan in the weekly podcast. Um, I should have clarified too, we also have the same three tracks that we offer to um, our normal rogue programs and we offer the Renegades. We we have a speed track, we have a half marathon track, and we have a marathon track. And that's honestly has more to do with the fact that you and I believe in periodization. We, we look at year-round training and say, you shouldn't marathon train all year long and you shouldn't just half marathon train all year long. So that's just us staying true to the fundamentals of how to be a great runner in this sport. Absolutely. So if interested, again, email me, Chris at Rogue Running. We'll get you connected. But we're excited to be building another virtual option that will hopefully be a better fit for some people who might be looking for that than the Renegades might have been. So 
All right, let's jump into our main topic. We're going to talk about prep races or tune-up races. Again, shout out to Caroline from the Renegades who teed up a lot of these questions. You and I have beaten, beaten around this topic already once in the last seven days. We're going to do it again because I think it's important for the broader audience. But you have essentially a woman in Caroline who was asking questions. What's a tune-up race? How do I use it? What is it? What it is? What is it not? What's the timing? All the things you might think about as you're prepping for a primary race. And so we're going to go through her list of questions as our agenda for this discussion and hopefully prepare you guys to either use or not use a tune-up race in preparation for your primary race. So we're going to start with her question number one, which I'm going to throw to you since I answered this first the last time we talked about it. But what are they? What are tuna braces? What are they not? So what are they and what are they not? Yeah, when I first read this question, the first thing that came to mind is that um, I got this feeling of it being like a technical term, almost as though she maybe had this feeling of it's this protocol that's established and that it's technical and I have to do it and I need to even go out of my way to find one. Maybe that wasn't truly her spirit, but that was kind of the feeling I got when I read through the questions. And the first thing I just want to say in trying to answer this is that um, generally speaking, um, there's terminology that gets thrown around that becomes a colloquialism. Like when I that, that eventually people start saying, like, if you're hanging out with a friend and you're like, um, oh, yeah, that that song, it's a total vibe. Someone else might hear that. I try to think of someone learning English for the first time and they're listening and then they want to go and say, technically, what is a vibe? Um, and, and, it, and it feels as though it's like some specific technical protocol. Um, a tune-up race, like, there's a colloquialism to it. It's, it's like, hey, all right, well, if you need to dust off the cobwebs, like you haven't raced in a while, um, or we had an athlete in our group who even wrote this out um, before her big marathon this fall, she was just thinking, hey, I haven't raced in a while. And um, there's just natural jitters and nerves or butterflies that come with um, doing a race. And so before I just throw myself in the deep end on, on my A day, I want to go pick a race. And um, tune up, so to speak. Um, and so a tune up race is not necessarily something you absolutely have to do, or you should go out of your way to schedule. And I emphasize that because the way we write programs is we're trying to piece together quality workouts that are sequential that build upon themselves and they lead you into a certain development, um, for a big quality long run that, that prepares you for your race. And so you don't have to add one in because the training programs will get you ready but if you're someone who just wants to, quote, dust off the cobwebs and deal with some race, race day butterflies, then that's a tune-up race. That's a <laughs> chance to go practice race day. Okay, fair enough. This is where I would also question the language a little bit. I don't like the words tune-up race because it, to me, implies that something needs to be tuned up. And I actually would submit that you don't need a tune-up race in order to, to do a, a primary race, which I think you were saying as well, but but the language still implies that, mm -hmm. So, which is why I like calling them prep races, because it's about preparing in some way for your A race, for your primary race. And if I could 
succinctly articulate what is a prep race. It is something that is specifically designed and geared to prepare you for the race to come. It is not without context. It is not a goal and an end all to its own. It is something that has to be done with the other race in mind so that you don't compromise what you're trying to accomplish with your primary goal. And so everything you do in thinking about a prep race should be with that idea that this needs to be complementary and not something that's on its own or not something that could even detract from the race to come. And so that's how I think about it and why I like the term prep race. It's also, as again, you were alluding to, it's not something you necessarily need. You don't necessarily have to have one. And in some cases, I prefer people not. And this is where we'll talk as we go about the individual needs and differences about how this might relate to a person when they're thinking about their specific plan. But you don't have to do it. Just because you're doing a marathon doesn't mean you have to do a half marathon prep race. We'll talk about situations where you might, and we'll talk about timing. We'll get to all of that. It has a potential place for some people, but it doesn't necessarily have to be something for everyone. And so that I think is an important message to drive home. We're talking about it because people are going to do them, but just because we're talking about it doesn't mean you have to do it. Speaking to the individual listener out there. So that leads me to the flip side, which is, what is it not? It is not something that should detract from your A race. If it does, then you either shouldn't do it or you should change your approach. And there's a lot of different ways to approach these, which we'll talk about, that'll give you ways to make it additive versus subtractive. So that's another clear point I wanted to drive home. Yeah. I guess it's similar, but it's, it's definitely not your A race and you need to know yourself. So if it causes more, if it causes more head issues, um, or it literally makes you rewrite your training calendar around it, it's, it's not worth it. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll talk about tweaking around because you might need to do that, but, but you shouldn't have to be making massive adjustments to your training to fit, to fit this in. The other thing, and I don't know where this fits in our conversation with these questions that I want to make sure people understand when we're talking about these types of races is that it shouldn't be something you go out of your way to do. It should not be something that you're searching for. Certainly not something you're searching for broadly. It should be something that's a natural fit. And when I talk about that, when I talk about this with my athletes is It should be a race that you have easy access to, that you're connected to in some way, that you're motivated because of that connection to go do it because it's a local race you love, or it's a race your friends are doing, or it's a race in a town where you have friends or family, you can go kind of make it a double trip where you're going to see some people that you love as well as do a race that complements your A race. So it shouldn't be something where... You know, you're sitting here at the end of August or beginning of September and thinking, okay, I'm racing in November. Let's go to halfmarathons.net and find a half marathon somewhere that I'm going to go travel out of my way to do. Like that is not what I want you to do in thinking about a prep race. It should be natural choice that you're motivated to do. That's a race that it's excites you genuinely. 
to show up at that start line so that it can provide all the positive juju that you need in a training cycle to continue the momentum to the A-race. So I think we've answered that question pretty thoroughly. Yeah, I'm holding back a little because I've read her questions and I wrote long responses. And so I'm trying to do this off the cuff and just uh, speak as though I naturally would. So, yeah, I think uh, she, we'll, we'll she does it, a great job we'll of pulling us down the structure, into nuances. Yeah. So there's, yeah, the, the agenda is well laid out by Caroline's questions. So that'll take, that'll take us to the next question, which I'll throw to you again, which is how are they, as in these prep races, different than B races. So that's why I teed up the colloquialism. I'm actually thinking of like the early day coaches. Like if you go way back into coaching, there was a time when we didn't have um, all these textbooks to read from where everything's codified, technical, you've got protocols, and then coaches are just out there studying it and trying to apply it. Um, I'm thinking of Percy Cerruti. He's just out there, um, you know, near a beach. And he's like, I want my athletes running up a hill because that seems like that's really hard. And I just want to build a little grit into them. And so, um, you know, I brought up the colloquialism because I think at some point in time, there must've been a coach that was like, um, all right, I've got this athlete who's going to run a big race coming up soon. The athlete's not sure where their head is or what, where their capabilities are. And they just need a little bit of a race day experience and a little bit of quote, a tune up or a confidence booster. So I want to go put them in this race environment, just like you might do with like fighters. They might fight a little lower level fight to get them back into a big fight or a dress rehearsal, if you will, or a um, comedian who tours and tests out their content on the stage. Um, and so I brought up the colloquialism because again, right here, people use terms like a race and B race, or they use a tune up or a prep race. Like we've got all these terms getting slung around and it's like, what is the difference? Well, there's not, I don't want anyone to leave this, um, thinking like that's technically what a B race is. And therefore there's a definition that goes with it. Here's what a tune up versus a prep race is and the technical definitions that go with it. But rather when you're hanging around a bunch of experienced runners and you hear them saying things like, um, yeah, I'm heading out to Oregon this weekend to see some of my uh, friends and um, I'm going to race the half, but it's one of my B races. It's not my A race. It's my B race. What they're generally referring to is they probably had a list of events they wanted to be a part of and participate in and have some fun. And if they had a good coach in their life, uh, they, that coach might've said, Hey, remember what Kipchoge always says, you cannot chase uh, two rabbits from the same bush. So that coach probably got into their ear and said, what's your priority? A, if you can figure out what, which the a race is, then I'm going to point. So they were just trying to help that athlete prioritize their whole, their whole calendar of events, because guys, I know me, I know you, uh, we love getting in all these races. And so you probably have seven races on your calendar in the next seven months. And, um, or maybe not that much, but you get what I'm saying. It's like B race just became a term to help us differentiate, um, what to priority prioritize and what to keep our eye focused on. And that way the coach now has a little bit of a language to say, Listen, like I've got some folks like with their eyes set on Philly and they've also got an opportunity to run with their friends out in West Texas in route to Philly. And it's like, listen, the A race is Philly. Keep your eye on the prize. Do not take a risk out there. And then boom, here comes that term. 
that fun race out in West Texas is just your B race. So we're really just using it to differentiate like the priority race of the season is the A. And then the B is just anything else that's not A. This is where we get to argue, argue in air quotes a little bit or debate perhaps, or just have different perspectives because I, as we've talked about this before, I don't actually believe in the term B race. (laughs) I think B race, the idea of a B race implies too much importance on it because really to me, there are A races and there is everything else. And I think B races give things, gives things too high a priority in the spectrum. It's like, if I don't do X or if I don't get X or I can't race this, then I've got this quote backup race that I'm going to go do. And I just don't believe in that. I believe in putting your eggs in, you know, two or three A race baskets a year. And if you do that and you train pointedly towards each of those periodizing accordingly, then you're going to get your best results. And so having B races or quote backup races, I, I, I understand how people use the term, but I reject it. And there's a guy I follow on Twitter who's a triathlon coach, lives in Boulder, but I believe he's from New Zealand. His name is Alan Cousins, C-O-U-Z-E-N-S. And I really like his stuff. He had a quote on Twitter at one point, or I guess it's called X now, which I'm never going to get used to. Thank you, Elon. But he said, (laughs) you know, (laughs) here's one of the problems with people they have too many A races, too many B races, and not enough C races, which I think captures a little bit of what I'm talking about here. You know, too many A races is thinking you can peak more than two or three times a year. And a lot of people think that, right? They're like, well, I'm going to go from this marathon in October to another half marathon two months later and expect there to be another peak. And that's just not the way our human body is, is works or is trained. Too many B races is this idea of the, the races you're talking about either before or after your A race where you're trying to cramp stuff in just to get more racing experience for whatever reason. And not enough C races is this idea that there's just, we don't give ourselves the opportunity to show up and just have a free form race experience or have an experience that directly complements an A race. And so for me, these prep races would fall in the C race category. It's a race where you don't have expectations necessarily, but you do have expectations relative to how it contributes to your A race. doesn't mean you might not run a great time, even PR potentially, but it's not something you're counting on. So that's the way I would answer that question. No, well said, because especially when it comes to the marathon distance, um, anytime people tell me like, oh, hey, coach, this comes up quite a bit, so I'm going to spend a little time on it. But I actually just met someone on the trail last Sunday morning. We had a conversation. She's deferred. Um, um, gosh, it's one of the beautiful races out in California. Um, anyway, she's had to defer it a few times, and now this is her opportunity to do it again, but she knew it wasn't going to be a PR. It's not a PR course. And so she was thinking, oh, why don't I sign up for a marathon a month before that, make that my A race, then I can PR, I lock away my PR, and then I can go just jog this one for fun. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is an athlete coming off of a knee injury who sees the PT more than she sees me, or at least <laughs> as much as she sees me. Right. And I'm thinking, no, I don't want to split this into quote terms a race and B race. I want one of them to go away. I want you to not do one of them. So a couple options there, either 
burn the money, guys. Like, just like it's, you paid it a couple years ago. You've deferred a few times, either let that go or what I came to with this particular athlete was we dropped the idea of trying to precede it. We're going to put in the best possible season we can towards that race that she um, gets to uh, go run. And despite the fact that the course is um, not set up for, uh, you know, quote, a PR, she will PR just because her fitness has come so far. Um, But we're just putting all our eggs in that basket. And so we realigned to an A race only. And now we don't have any differentiator between, quote, A, B or C. I'm glad you were able to win that battle. It's one that I feel like I constantly fight as a coach. And you win some and you lose some. But yes, in general, I want people to race less than perhaps they want. Although I would say there are people that are falling in both camps. Some people want to do every little race and some people are like, oh, I don't know, maybe I'm good. Or they're tentative even to do some races. So I guess there are both camps. But but yes, if there's a challenge, it's probably more often the challenge that people want to race too much. So that leads to the next question, which I think couches all of this in a good way and then allows us to then transition into what some of the tactics and what does it look like. But what is the benefit of doing a prep race? Why should someone do one? And are there situations when someone shouldn't do one? Yeah, I think the benefit, this kind of dovetails nicely with about a month ago, we recorded a um, podcast on training paces. And there are times where an athlete has done a really great job of letting go of, um, tight expectations early on and they've built their base and they've been training within a range of paces. And when you want to get about mid season or further into the season, you want to sharpen up some paces. And I, I kind of hinted at this early on in the conversation, but if you want to deal with some race day jitters or butterflies and nerves and practice your routine of laying out your outfit and making sure you have your goose head out and you go through all of those motions and able to get your mind right, know what it's like to get to the start line, practice all of your logistics and refine your paces for the rest of your training season. That's a great time. Um, or if it's even confidence, if you know that you need, um, to build the confidence and you've got a relationship with the athlete that, you know, they can take a risk by going hard at race day, but not, um, uh, imploding. If that experience doesn't go well, if you know that it it, it won't uh, cause more damage, you're always sort of weighing a, a cost to benefit ratio at all times. Um, so if you know that with a, a particular athlete that it's like, this could give them a confidence booster, it could help them dial in on their paces, it can help them practice their routine. Those are all great reasons to incorporate one into your training season. Yeah, I mean, it's a good list. And I think that this question also goes just into the general question of if I, as I approach a a block of training, what do I need to be successful? And some of those things you need might be related to the X's and O's of training. I need more miles. I need to incorporate workouts in my long runs for the first time. I need to do a longer long run than I've ever done. I need to periodize my speed work in a way I've never done it. I need to add a day of training that I've never done. So there are those X's and O's as you look at a training block, you might say, these are the things I need to take that next step forward. And as we always encourage, you know, pick one or two things to add there and not four or five. 
And to me, this is a component of that as you're sitting there prepping for a block of training. You know, what do I need from a race execution standpoint in order to make sure I'm ready to execute for my A race? And for some people, it's about dealing with the mental side and getting those quote race nerves out of the way in a low pressure, low stakes environment. For some people, it's about practicing execution, being able to simulate the idea of starting more conservatively in a race and finishing strongly, perhaps with a less than all out effort, but a solid progressive effort that still allows you to essentially exercise the same muscles, both physically and mentally that you will on race day. So that's another scenario. For some people, it's also potentially about, hey, I want a good fitness check to know where I'm at to inform my paces for race day, in which case sometimes there's an argument for going all out in a prep race so that you get that good fitness check and with the right recovery around it and space to your A race, you're able to use that and still not compromise the A race. So that's another reason you might do one. Lastly, from my mind, you might also do one just as a training stimulus. You know, some people might have a race that they want to do because it's their local hometown race or a bunch of their friends are doing it. And they might say, Hey, how does this fit into my build? I want to do it because I always do it. How does it fit into my build to my A race? And you might say, okay, well, let's use it as a long run, so to speak, perhaps or a long run workout, so to speak, that is simply another building block of training because maybe you would have had a long run with pace work around that anyway. And so we have people sometimes use a half marathon in that way. So those are at least four examples of reasons, you know, of ways you would use it of the benefit You know, as you said that, I thought of an example too, like because we're coming into the fall, it's September 1st as we record and it's, um, the turkey trot's a great example of that. Like, um, you know, I coach on Wednesday nights, just have for a decade and it's, it's, that's a great example where most people during Thanksgiving week aren't going to, um, throw down or they're not going to worry about being with me up at Rogue on a Wednesday night, um, but rather they can wake up that next morning and get five hard miles. And that's a great opportunity to employ the tactic that you you just uh, brought up and that's replacing a quality. Um, I'm assigning about four to six miles, sometimes seven for my marathoners um, on a Wednesday night anyway. And they're thinking about similar volume, um, probably more intense if they go out and race it. But that's a, that's a great example of where athletes will... And the other part of that too, is I want people to understand that they also, you know, they create the plan. They say, Hey, this fits right. And they might a month or two months out decide that race fits into my overall program to build towards my A race. I'm going to use it in this way. But even if you have that in mind, as you approach the race itself, you still need to ask yourself as you get there, is that still the right way to use it? Because maybe you're feeling run down in training and you you actually don't think you're ready to make an all out race, or maybe you need to make adjustments to your progression plan because, you know, you're either feeling run down or you want to test certain paces in a way that you hadn't considered before. So there's always those real time adjustments you have to make as you approach it. 
And I think about that, you, you give the turkey trot example. I give, I think about that in my, in my own training because, you know, it's a family tradition to turkey trot every year in our nuclear family. We're usually in Houston. Houston has a great 10 K turkey trot and the kids are doing it with us now every year. So we make a family tradition for the five of us to go do that. And I will then use it depending on where I'm at in training and depending on how I'm feeling. Also even dependent on the weather. Honestly, sometimes I've adjusted my approach because the weather has been warm where I might've raced to the 10 K all out. Instead, I adjusted back to treating it more like a tempo effort because it was hot and humid. And so even the day before I will make real time tweaks ranging from, Hey, I'm just going to fun run this to with my kids because that's what my body needs right now to I'm going to treat it like a workout instead and then circle back to my family or I'm going to race it all out and circle back to my family. So those adjustments I've made literally 24 hours out simply because of the circumstances leading into it. So I think that's another point to hammer home here, which is that you may have an idea of why it's going to be useful for you, but then in reality, you may need to make those last minute adjustments to make sure it fits where you are in that moment. What about situations where you wouldn't want somebody doing one? A situation where I would not want them to do it is if you've got, I don't want to call it lingering injuries, but let's call them the niggles and the naggles that are lingering where you're constantly nursing something. Um, You know, we can, modify certain workouts for you um, where you've got certain recoveries you can keep an eye on whatever's going on with you but if you're dealing with something um, it's probably best that you don't go throw down Um, also when mentally they've just not in the past been able to put these things in perspective because we as coaches are we've already stated this today in the conversation where we're saying like hey listen you're building up towards a marathon Someone might be having one of their best marathon training seasons, but that means they've got a really big engine and they're becoming really strong. And then they want to go throw down on a five miler. And um, I was thinking that because the turkey trot or a 10K. But if they don't PR in that event, they can't let go of it. I feel like if psychologically they're not able to quote to quote you reframe success, um, and just historically it makes them stress out more and then get in their head about it. I'm like, listen, like if I've got you marathon ready, chances are you aren't ready. You aren't your fastest 5K and 10K person. Everybody idealistically wants to think in their head that they can string together their 5K, their 10K, their half and their full um, all within the same cycle or let's say all within, uh, you know, a six month window. It's just rarely happens. Um, And we definitely don't prescribe it. And so while we're preparing you for a marathon, Um, I don't want you to go grade yourself about your potential for your, your, uh, like, I don't want you to go sign up for a tune-up race, um, thinking that if you don't PR in it, then somehow you're not ready to PR for your marathon. And then one more like specific nuance is, is this would fall into the category, I guess, of C races. I was on the phone today with an athlete who's running the New York marathon 
and where it falls in her taper, she's going to get to be um, out of state with her family. And there's a half marathon that falls on the same day as when she's coming off 22. The next week, she's going to do 16. Then she's going to do 10. And she's going to race New York. It just so works out that the day she has 16 assigned, there's a half marathon in the city where she's visiting family and she wants to sign up for it. That is the taper. I was like, you are only allowed to go out there and use that quote as your long run that you do not have to run alone. If you can promise me, you will jog easy pace and come land this plane. Because if you go and trade the success that you've been building towards for New York, if you trade it all and spend that, you know, Lydia used to say miles are like money in the bank. And so um, when I think of money in the bank, do not spend your savings. If you've been saving up to buy a house and you see a pretty car and you're like, that's well within my budget looking at what I got in the bank, I'm gonna go buy it. Well, guess what? Now you don't have the money you need to go buy your house. That's my metaphor for, hey, if you, if you are at all going to be tempted to even treat it like a, a, oh, oh, coach is just being too conservative. Maybe I'll just pick up the last 5K. No, when we're going into the taper, do not F around Stay away from that race if I can't trust you. I'm preaching, but you know, I'll back yeah. off a little bit. But that's a, definitely an example of do not do it. You're right. It's yeah, if yeah, if you're gonna have the wrong expectations, then that's a challenge, that's a problem. Or if you're gonna be tempted to show up on that day and instead of running easy as instructed by the coach and as appropriate for the time and training you decide to, well, I just decided to pick it up over the last half because I, quote, felt good. You're spending that money in the bank for no reason and wasting collateral that you've collected for the race that matters, which in this case is New York. So those are all good reasons. I also want to remind people of what I mentioned earlier, just, just for the sake of repetition, which is don't do it if it doesn't fit naturally into your plan if it's not something you're naturally motivated or excited about, don't go seek out some random race in some random place just because you think you need a prep race. So that would be another reason. But I like your point there about having the right expectations, being able to measure yourself on the right things. You don't get to be mad in a prep race if you don't PR. You don't get to be mad about that. So make sure you can handle the mental elements of the other side of this. And I feel a need to explain why. It's like we, we weren't um, peaking for that. If you don't believe in the concept of peaking, then you might not trust us on this point. But we fully believe it. We buy into it. And we write schedules such that you peak at the right time so that you can have your performance. The reason why you can't put too much weight on a tune-up race or a prep race or a B race is because you're not peaked for it. We weren't designing the schedule so that, you know, you, you get X, Y, or Z from it. Um, you're often probably running it with cumulative fatigue. Um, and so it makes more sense that you don't get your best possible result. Okay, before we get to our next question, I wanted to quickly give a shout out to our sponsor, Run Jonji. Jonji Running Apparel, they've been now a partner of mine for about three or four months. And as I mentioned at the top, will be expanding their partnership with me, which is exciting. They've also just released their fall collection, which highlights 
artists and art from Hakaido, Japan. Absolutely beautiful collection with some new pieces. And I know it's hard to think about this right now, but they've got some new outerwear pieces. Also a new full length trail tight, which will be great as the temperatures start to cool off. But when you're thinking about buying gear to go on your trips to your fall races, you want to take John G gear with you. So go check out their fall stuff. Cool new colors, cool new designs. And of course they have all of their primary tried and true pieces available as well with this collection. So go check it out. As a reminder, 2% of all revenue goes to support water projects all around the world. So when you're buying with John G, you're also supporting great causes. So go check it out, johng.com or runjohng.com. You can get 15% off your order right off the top with my code rogue15, that's R-O-G-U-E-1-5 at johng.com. Again, that's rogue15 for 15% off. Go check it out. Okay, back to my questions with James. Okay, I'm going to go to the next question as we start to get into some of the tactics here. What's the right time to do one relative to your A race? I'll jump in first on this one. I feel like I've answered this one many, many times. And first I want to caveat it by saying these are rules of thumb. Everybody wants to take my rules of thumb and apply them blanketly. And that's not how necessarily they're intended. It's going to, you know, it's going to still require you as an individual athlete asking questions about how exactly it fits into your training. But in general, before a marathon and before a marathon, if somebody, somebody wants to do a half marathon prep race or really any distance prep race, four to eight weeks out is the general window of time that I look for prep races for a marathon. For a half marathon, three to six weeks out. For a 10K or a 5K, where in some cases you may want to do a 5K prep race in advance of another 5K to get in the mental space of suffering over those short distances, then usually two to four weeks out is the rough range for those. Although I always tell people to be very cautious about racing two weeks out from another race. You need to make sure you can have full recovery between that and your A race. So those are my general rules of thumb. I break them sometimes in individual cases, but I think that gives people a decent starting point. Yeah, I don't have much to add there. The only thing um, I would tack on is maybe if you did it somewhat earlier in the season when you're refining paces. So if you're coming out of base and kind of moving in, like um, we have the, do we still have the 80s 8K in Austin? No. Is that okay? Well, there used to be an event called 80s 8K that um, was offered here in the fall. And, you know, the Austin Marathon's not till uh February. And so I didn't mind if athletes went out and threw down on that, if it helped us refine paces a little bit. So a little bit of wiggle room there. And I don't even know that we call that. Um, That's a time trial, not a prep race. Exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah, we've got early, another early term season, on the table. You want to throw in a 5k or a two mile race or a four mile race or even five mile race as a time trial to do a fitness check for your training papers, paces purposes. That would be in the priming phase of training first six weeks or so that has a place, but to me, that's a different category of racing altogether. Also a sea race, though. There you go. It's a sea race. <laughs> so that one to me is pretty straightforward. But what's the, I know you and I have slight differences opinion on this next question, which is what's the right distance beyond just shorter than your A race? 
So it wasn't until I wrote up my answer that I actually realized I had a bias. Um, but I prefer the 10K. I think that the 5K, um, it's a great indicator, especially for knowing paces within the training season. But as far as converting to a half or a full, we need to know that you have the aerobic engine or the mileage base to support that speed in order for it to carry over to your marathon. So it's it's not that uncommon for someone to run a pretty fast 5K, but potentially not convert it to the marathon. I don't want to cause doubts here, but I do want people to know that without a big enough engine, i.e. enough miles run through the season where you're consistent with your medium long runs, your long runs, and you've got a tight focus on your weekly mileage itself, if you don't have... Um, that that aspect of your training dialed in, then your 5K doesn't convert as well. Um, so I kind of like the 10K a little bit more because it's the gateway into the half and the full. And it's a little bit longer race. It's, it's just long enough to test the spirits. Um, it's great for the pacing and getting dialed in. But then I start, again, coming back to that perspective of cost-benefit ratio. And I start looking at 10 milers or 10 miler I'll still make a little bit of room for. Um, it's a great opportunity because it's longer. And I would say, generally speaking, the longer the race, the better the data point for carrying over to the marathon. But when we start getting to halves, this is where I think we differ. Um, I squirm when I think of someone wanting to run a half um, and really run it hard because it's that cost benefit ratio. Like benefit, cool. You get some, you get to dust off cobwebs. You got to go through your routine. You know, may, like if you perform either close to a PR or you run paces that are equivalent to the marathon PR. Awesome. That's, that's great confidence building, right? But the events also long enough that we could cause some soft tissue damage that if we have to take a couple of weeks and recover from that, and then we miss subsequent workouts, I start thinking, man, I just want to keep them into the training protocols and keep them in the flow that we're building throughout the season that we have written. So the, uh, there's just this like tension. I feel when I start thinking the race gets longer and longer, um, I start to lean a little bit more conservative. Yeah, I hear that. I mean, in general, when I think about prep races, I want them to be long enough to simulate at least enough of some of the feelings you're going to experience in your A race if we're going to do it. So I generally go with the 50% rule, which is, you know, half marathons for marathons, 10Ks or so for half marathons, 5Ks for 10Ks. For 5Ks itself, I love another 5K, as I've already mentioned, because I think you need to, especially those of us who do a lot of halves and fulls, you need to be able to put yourself into that anaerobic pain place that mentally is very different from an endurance-focused event. And so having a practice 5K before you go do your actual 5K race, I think is a really important mental prep step. But alas... That's my, those are my general rules of thumb there is pick something that's about 50% of the distance or less. I mean, I do think for a, a marathon doing a 10K has a place. I don't necessarily think a 5K has a place in prep for a marathon. And the reason I would argue, you know, a half marathon for some people is this, just the simple idea that again, sometimes you need more time to be able to get the benefits you're looking for. So for me, for example, if somebody's really struggling with race execution and needs to be able to execute a race plan where they can confidently start a race conservatively, 
build into some sort of target pace and then close confidently, I need that race to be long enough to really be able to touch all those boxes. And to me, that's really difficult in a 10K because you're not necessarily getting enough time to do each of those three things. You're also not getting enough general leg fatigue to really be able to build confidence from a fast close if you started the first half at, say, marathon pace and then ran the last half faster. That's great, but it doesn't necessarily give you a confidence boost like crushing the final three miles of a half where maybe you started at marathon pace plus 30, did a start simulation working to marathon pace, held that for a while then got into a couple miles, a half marathon pace, and then closed off of that for a couple miles. That longer kind of progressive workout to me allows you to build more skill sets than just a 10K would allow. So that would be my argument for the half. But yes, you have to be cautious about it, of course, because you don't want to compromise the A race. Yeah, that's almost where the, the the terminology thing or the colloquialism or semantics comes into play again because it's like, oh, that starts to remind me of a long run workout, which I am pro long run workouts. <laughs> right. Um, we had an athlete in our virtual group actually who just incorporated the Annapolis 10 miler into her 19 mile long run day and she was strategic and smart and she didn't take any risks. But it was like, hey, if I've got to go and do 19 miles and I also you know love being a part of a race day experience, then cool. She was able to make that work and get that done, but she didn't take unnecessary risks. Yeah. So that's the caveat for all of this, right? Is you, as we established at the beginning, you don't want to compromise a race. If you're doing something by choosing your distance that will compromise the a race, then it's the wrong distance. Okay. Gotten through that one. Next question, does course profile matter? Should it be similar or easier than the A-Race? This is where I did one of those James Dodds yes and no, <laughs> I believe I wrote. So here's the thing, guys. There's, here is like a technical term that's worth considering when you're writing programs and developing, and that's specificity of training. You want to run a 5K? then you practice running 5K pace. You want to run a half marathon, you practice running half marathon pace. That's an oversimplification, but it captures in the mind for those of you who know running science generally, but not deeply, um, specificity of training does matter. So you got a hilly course uh, for your marathon. You want to go run a hilly 10K as your prep race, tune-up race, B race, C race, whatever you want to call it. Um, Cool. I could see someone making an argument for specificity of training. I want to match hills with hills, but I love for my athletes to stay confident. I coach the mind as much as I coach the body. And so I'm thinking, man, I want them on the flattest, fastest, race uh, a course that they possibly can be on so that they feel good about themselves i want them walking around up on their toes i like when my uh, athletes have swagger and confidence um so psychologically i could make a strong case for having someone run the flattest possible course out there so they get the best time and they can feel really good about themselves and then we just deal with the hills um in the training um program itself to prepare them for the hills of their race day Look at you talking out of both sides of your mouth. I tend to do that. <laughs> I mean, but I get it. I mean, ultimately for me, this this really gets to the heart of all of this discussion, which is that at the end of the day, in all of these decisions we're talking about, 
you have to put your individual filter on. And as a coach, when I'm talking to an individual athlete, I have to filter these questions through what I know about that individual. And if, if you're going to do something that compromises com- confidence or that compromises their freshness for training to the race, you don't do it. And so I, I would say relative to this answer, it becomes very specific to the person. In general, I don't have a problem and might even slightly prefer somebody doing a prep race that is more similar in profile to their A race so they can use that as a practice opportunity. But if it is going to cause them to struggle with confidence, then I certainly wouldn't have that. You know, as I think about examples, I think about the Decker Challenge half marathon here in Austin. 40 plus year old race, old school Austin race started by the Austin Runners Club. In December, it is an ideal course for preparing for the Austin full marathon in February because of the terrain, because they're both hilly challenging courses. So most of the time, if I've got somebody training for the Austin half or sorry, Austin full or even Austin half, sometimes I'll tell them, go do Decker in December, because that's going to give you an opportunity to practice running at pace on hills that are similar enough to what you're going to face in race day in Austin. Now for most people, I don't have them race that all out. I'll have them do it as a, as a prep race where they have specific pace guidance throughout, but that's a perfect example of trying to match the terrain. So there you go. It depends. It but depends. Chris leans specificity of training. <laughs> I do. I do lean specificity. So yes. And of course, if you're going to race a f- flat a race, you probably want a flat prep race as a result. So we've already touched on this, but I kind of want to just hit it again to hammer it home. Is it raced at full effort? Well, that's where I will start with the way you just ended. And that to me is so individualized that I get a little bit timid to give an answer on a broad podcast like this, where we have so many personality types. Um, So it, it really depends on, on the person where they're at in the season, um, how they handle, you know, results. Um, so it depends on the athlete. Yeah, it does depend. I would say, and I believe we talked about this with the Renegades group. One of this or one of the scenarios, at least that I think about an opportunity to go all out. And again, it's only one option we've talked about the others is a scenario where you have somebody who doesn't really know where their fitness is, where their PRs might stand, perhaps because they have less experience or perhaps because they have a a personal best that is quote soft in the spectrum. We know they're going to beat it. We know they're going to be able to beat it significantly. So let's take a chance, assuming it fits and assuming it matches their, what they need, Let's take a chance. Let's race it to get a good fitness check. Might not be the optimal PR that they'd be able to achieve if they were doing focused training, but it allows them to take a nice big step forward in a distance. Also allows them to have a new personal best to throw into the calculators to figure out what that means for their A race. So that's a scenario where 
I tend to like it. If somebody, you know, or another scenario I would say would be somebody who's super experienced, right? Who's done a lot of races, who's raced, who's done prep races, who knows how to use them, who's a savvy racer, who knows how to execute well, and they know their body well, know how to listen to it. And they say, hey, I want to go all out and see if I can take a chance and, and get a new personal best or, or see where they are with a little bit more specificity. And sure, go for it. You know, if you're, if you're able to make those decisions, pull back if you need to, then why not, right? Somebody like that, that, that who's more experienced. So it can kind of, those are two examples. There are others, but those are two examples of a scenario where I might have somebody race it all out. But it's always, it always, I always try to answer this question from the point of, what does this person need from this race so that it supports their A race? And if the answer is, hey, racing it all out does support the A race, why not? Yeah, we actually had a great example of that. I would say like, if someone has been very intentional about this, again, we we gave the caveat of don't go out of your way to plan this, but we had an athlete who decided that for her season this year, she was going to do this race. She knew exactly why she was going to do it. Um, she had it on the uh, the schedule and then she went and she PR'd and it was awesome. And so that's super encouraging. But like someone with that much intention, then I'll lean towards, hey, if you've been that intentional with your long-term game plan, um, you wrote it into your, your calendar and your schedule, then we might lean towards, yeah, go race it. Um, those who kind of back into it because of the family invites or happen to be in this city and I'm gonna go ahead and get the, that's when I'm starting to lean towards, well, long run progression or, um, at 80% effort, et cetera, I'm going to lean towards let's, let's stay away from the all, all out. Effort. Yeah. And certainly somebody who needs to work on the, the mental elements or needs to work on race execution, particularly, I'm not going to have them race all out because I need them to be able to have the control to execute a plan. If they don't have the control because they're on the limit, then that's going to be unproductive. So that's a long way of saying it depends, but those are some examples where it might work. All right. Next question. How does one adjust their training schedule for a prep race? Should someone do a taper week the week prior? What about the following week? Should one skip the quality work or medium long run a few days after? And this is one where I believe I unequivocally said when we answered this for the Renegades that it's the only answer is it depends. There's too many variables to be able to generalize anything here, except perhaps to say that, yes, you need to be asking yourself that question. How do I need to make small adjustments around in order to give this race the space so that I can recover properly and not overdo it in that week as you prepare for your A race? So, but then beyond that, it comes down to specific circumstances. How are you using the race? Are you planning to go all out? Are you planning to use it as some sort of executional prep race? Are you treating it like a workout? Are you running it easy? because that's what fits for your long run that day. All of those things are going to matter. And then of course the individual athlete elements are going to matter. How you feel going into it matters. The weather, if it's hot and humid and gross, and that's going to require more recovery afterwards, then you definitely need to factor that into your adjustments. 
So you got to think about all of those things. Consult with your coach if you have one. In general, err on the conservative side. You know, sometimes we'll have people use prep races as their workout for the week. It's like, all right, don't do your midweek workout because we've got a prep race. Or your long run workout that is on the schedule has now been converted into your prep race. Or, hey, let's adjust volume a little bit on either side just to make sure you can get the recovery you need. You're still, quote, training through, as the elites would say, but you want to make sure that you have a little breathing room around it so that it doesn't dig a hole. Yeah, and without getting too detail-oriented because of what you said, it's like I, I have a hard time picturing scenarios where I wouldn't tweak the quality both before and after. Often the quality before I'm going to shorten. I typically have my athletes doing four to six miles of quality on a Wednesday night. Um, I'm thinking of my Austin group right now. So yeah, I might give them like uh, what I might call a dummy workout where they have eight times 400, maybe four by 400 at 10K, four by 400 at 5K. Um, don't write those down as specifics, guys, because it could change based on the race itself. But I'm just using an example of what I would consider a dummy workout where you basically got two miles of a workout when your body's generally used to doing four to six. I was probably using that um, in a scenario where I just wanted to prime the legs, just uh, get them up on their toes, have them feel good, leave them a little bit hungry for more, knowing that that weekend they were going to run hard um, and use that as their quality. And then if they did run hard, then I almost always adjust the subsequent quality because recovery is so important and soft tissue is what you got to keep your eye on. Yep. And then on top of that, then you have to do the race and you have to also have to ask yourself after the race, what do you need? You know, so even once you get through the race, you still have to say you may have had a plan going in, but you feel more beat up than you thought you would. You still need to be able to respond to that. So it's, there's still, even if you have a plan, you still have to respond to what your body gives you in the immediate aftermath as well. But that very much depends. Likely you'll need some adjustment, but it's very dependent on the situation. Okay. Last question as we wrap this and kind of gives us the ability to to pick up on anything we missed. She simply asks, is there anything I missed that I should have asked? So that's your chance to throw in any final comments and thoughts as we wrap this topic. No, I'm just going to use this as an opportunity to thank her and repeat myself. Um, with what I wrote uh, in response to these questions, and that's, um, no, you are incredibly thoughtful, and um, uh, if there is more to add, you won't get it from me, because um, I think she's more detail-oriented than I am. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny that we did a, just did an hour episode on this topic, and I think some people are probably listening, thinking, this is too complicated. Why don't they just give me the simple answer? And... Unfortunately, if that's your frustration, you've come to the wrong place <laughs> because it matters. And to me, the final message I would give is that if you're unsure in the least that the prep race is going to be additive to your A race, then don't do it. You know, the final message for me here is that you don't need it necessarily to have your best race. And in fact, sometimes I prefer you don't do it because it can create a distraction or create risk that you just don't need. So also I just want everybody to know 
that if you have a solid training program and you're willing to execute that as your coach has written, you're going to get, you, you have a full opportunity to get your goals, whether or not you do a prep race. So don't feel like you have to force it. And if you're not sure at all, then bag it. Don't do it at all. That would be my final message. So shall we wrap it here? That's a wrap. All right. We'll wrap it here. Thanks to James for joining me. Thanks to Caroline for the questions. Thanks to all of you for listening. And of course, thanks to Johnji for sponsoring this episode. Go support them because that supports us. And as always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.